Clubhouse. What's what they'll do to this place? Damn the rivers. Flood the valleys. Cut every tree that stands to build cities. This paradise becomes another concrete desert. I'm not going to kill them for what they've done to me or what they've done to John or what they're still doing to you. I'm going to kill them because the men who build cities always send men like Banner first. I do it for that child, a child I'll never meet. I do it for the land. I do it for you. So that when you're laid to rest under the aspens, no one cuts them down, builds a city over you. I know how much you've suffered, and I thank you for it. It's their turn now. God damn it, it's their turn now. Welcome to Pod Clubhouse's coverage of 1923, a prequel series to Yellowstone. This is Caroline. And this is Mike. Tonight we're discussing episode 6 of 1923. This one was called One Ocean Closer to Destiny. Tonight's episode was written by Taylor Sheridan. Surprise, surprise, surprise. And was once again directed by Guy Furland. Guy, you'll recall, directed last week's episode as well. Just a community note, please join us on Facebook in the Yellowstone 1923-1883 and 46's discussion and news group to discuss 1923 and the whole universe of Yellowstone shows. Every day there's another one, I swear. Every day there's another one, and, may, <laughs> and maybe the 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 main the main line franchise is ending. This Kevin oh, Costner news is quite goodness. insane. I mean, let's keep this in 1923 zone, but holy crap, if that actually happens, what a bombshell that will be if that goes through. I don't. I know all of our Yellowstone watchers are not ready for any of that. Um, that is a discussion that we're having over on our weekly podcast, which you're welcome to go take a listen to. That's Pop Culture Review podcast that we do weekly. We definitely had a whole conversation last week about Yellowstone with our Yellowstone host, Steph and Sheila, and they had lots of good insight as to how they thought maybe the plot could work or how it could possibly end. But for right now, let's talk about 1923. And this is your reminder that we have assumed you've watched this episode. So we're not going to be doing a step-by-step recap of the episode, but we are going to be spoiling things. So if you haven't watched and you don't want to be spoiled, pause the podcast now, go watch the episode, come on back, and then then you'll be free to listen to it. Spoiler-free at that point. Uh, Caroline... Yes. <laughs> we are almost at the end of this season. I cannot believe that we are we are getting ready to talk about the penultimate episode next week. I mean... That feels messy. How could that be? There's only two hours left after tonight. Are you lying to us? What is going on? That can't I, be. I would never lie to you guys. I would never <laughs> lie to you guys. And just to be fair, they've already been greenlit for a second set of 
eight episodes. But so, here's the thing. 1883 was also. And then 1883 turned into 19... <laughs> season two turned into 1932, which Very then true. turned into 1923. So who knows? Second season of 1923. Are they going to call it 1924? I, I mean, we're at the end of 1923 in this timeline. My, I think it's going to be spring of 1923, perhaps. I don't know. They're going to go backwards in time? I don't know how time works with this show. <laughs> oh, that sounds crazy. Hey, you and I have already said that they they monkey with the timeline a little bit. So I know, but it's maybe November of 1923, time. so maybe, maybe they're going to roll it back. I mean, if they really do a season two, obviously, it's going to be the springtime because everything seems to be setting don't up. Don't say obviously it's going to be the springtime. Like, like I well, made 1924, a, a goofy comment. No, no, but, uh, well, I think you're right. If they do go forward with a natural season two and it's not like it's not going to be like 1940 or 1963 i'm so over your 1960 like prediction like it's not happening in my head like that's not happening i don't see that happening well i think that show is going to happen it's just whether or not you're gonna write it your own self (laughs) uh no i think i think they've already kind of been talking about it as they want to do a 40s show and a 60s show Who's there? Are you in the sh- the Sheridan writer room? What's, what are you doing? We get your little ear to the floor. Rumors on the internet, on the <gasps> interwebs. So. You're just trusting strangers. I'm hanging out in the dark. What did dar- I tell you I'm about hanging out that? in the Yellowstone dark web. <laughs> You're on some sort of dark ranch at night, like smoking the those like uh, bubble gum cigarettes. You're like blowing the powder off of them. Trying to look smooth. <laughs> the, the yellow white glows in the in Yellowstone dark web. So. Wasn't that beautiful, though? The the, the uh, Y on the barn? I feel so goddamn foolish and so silly, but it literally makes me smile so goofy when I see that. When I see that Y on the barn, it makes me, it just makes me happy. It makes me feel like I'm home, like I am in this universe. It's a credit to the world building that the show has done, that, that it really evokes that unbridled emotion, right? It's not something i'm not sitting there thinking be like i want to get excited for the yellowstone brand it's just there it just happens because that would be weird yeah it would be weird (laughs) weird. we've seen the barn we've seen the y a couple times but the way the camera kind of started there and pulled out to the larger like ring and stuff it, it just it made me happy it just made me feel like i'm in this world I feel that way when I see the Y on the stained glass, um, you know, on the door as well. Like Which we had a shot you know, of this, this week. Also. Yeah, yeah, we have a beautiful shot of that one. Jacob's giving his back to Kara. Oh. Very rude. I mean, we should very rude. Let's let's start there because I, I think a large thrust of this episode. Yes, trust me, I want to talk all about Alex and Spencer and the swooning and the commitment. I just got to give you the... a little a little foreplay with Kara and Jacob first. But this episode, I think the real thrust of this episode was Kara and Jacob navigating the worst bump that we've seen in their relationship. And there's so much emotion wrapped up into this. But I think what comes out of this, and this would be my episode theme, is I think this episode is the best explanation of why the Duttons are the way they are and why the Duttons act the way they act. Now, Jacob has tried several times since the show has come on the air, and he tries several times in this specific episode to say, to express why why to fight for this land, why it's important, why you can't let the sheep herders just run roughshod over it, why you can't let the bank come and take it, why you can't let the thieves and the miners come and take it. He's tried. He's tried to express it to Jack. He's tried to express it to Carrie. He's tried to express it to us, the audience. I think he finally gets it after several tries in this episode. 
and it's a beautiful scene. I, I, I really, Harrison Ford just kills it in this episode in general. Uh, Helen Mirren also, but I think she's been bringing it really hard all season. These two watching them clash heads and then come together again really hit me. It really, really hit me. You have any general thoughts? Before we start getting into clips and playing it, I wanted to get your, your general take on their arc in this episode. I thought they had a lot of really important conversations that I actually went back and rewatched just some of their conversations because the future of the ranch, that's been the story really right from the very beginning, right? What is the future of the ranch? How is this possibly ever going to work and how are they going to be able to protect it while maintaining their own value system? Meaning how do they not become the equivalent of the thieves and the miners and the, you know, like the, the people willing to do anything and sort of like lose themselves in the process? How do they keep their good hearts and what they know is, is the right thing to do for the land and for, and for other people while protecting what they own. And it's those two things. I mean, it's like you can see where other people's behavior is pushing their hand and like forcing them to not be able to be, you know, good people all the time. And that uh, that I mean, that's the story of the Yellowstone generally is, you know, how how can you possibly still be a good person and maintain, you know, what you have here in your vision the amount of conversations they have in this that are basically wrapped up in the concept of vengeance versus uh, preservation is mind-boggling, and I, I don't know how they do it. This is the genius of the show, though, right? This is the genius of Taylor Sheridan and Brendan Richardson and all the other creatives in front of and behind the camera. There are no stakes here insofar as the ranch we know the ranch stays with the Duttons. We've seen the future. We we have we have lived a hundred years in the future from where these people are now. Kara and and Jacob presumably long gone, and the Dutton Ranch is still being held by the Duttons. So there are no stakes. You have to remind yourself of that constantly. But it's true. Whitfield is not going to get the ranch. Banner is not going to get the ranch. The Duttons are not going to lose the ranch. Not here anyway. But yet it's engrossing, yet you are leaning forward and you are invested in what is going to happen because they have done such a great job of crafting a story of how they get to keep the ranch. It seems impossible. I mean, let's listen to this first clip. This this is the squeezing from all sides clip. This is, you listen to this clip, listen to Jacob talk, and you wonder, how did they hold on to the ranch for the next hundred years? It's insane. Let's uh, Let's start rolling through these clips here. You leave all the fighting to the agents. I'm not going through that again. It's not my intention to get shot. Nor is it my intention to become a widow. So all those thoughts of justice in your head, they stay there. They're blasted in a mine right above this ranch's main water supply. They own the property to the north now and to the south. To squeeze what's in the middle. And what's in the middle is us. Justice would be a luxury. My concern is survival. I know. That's why I did it. Did what? Don't be mad. I did it for you. 
Those are famous last words, Cara Dutton. I did it for you. Don't be mad. I did it for you. You and I are just having this conversation over on your honor. This idea of I, I completely fucked you over. I betrayed you by all intents and purposes, but I did it for you. It's 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 a rough line to sell, but she means it. She means it with all of her heart. Man, that goes down like a lead balloon with Jacob. Well, can you imagine? Can you imagine? I mean, this blew up his whole spot. You know, when he throws his cane to her, I mean, uh, and then when he walks on that pillow and he's like, damn right, I'm mad. Like, I understand what she's doing, and I'm not even saying I wouldn't do it, but man, man, <laughs> the consequences of blowing up someone else's spot it's a lot and doing this to your partner. I mean, would you do this to your partner? If you could see that your partner had potential to hurt himself because he was, he, he refused to not allow the sheriff or anyone else to take care of this. He has got to take care of it himself. Would you intervene? I'd like to think I would. I, it takes courage to do what Kara did though. It takes courage to act with your conviction when you know it is going to be a uh, a major wedge issue, if not something more severe, if not a breaking point kind of thing. Uh, it takes a lot of courage to do what she did to, to, to talk to to talk to the sheriff. I mean, look at when you think back in the office when she says, I have something to show you. Look at the look that Jack gives her from across the room, like his mm -hmm. eyes narrow, all squinty. And he's just pistol whipping someone in her defense. And then he's and then he's like narrowing his eyes like, what are you doing? Like he understands what she's about to do is is a betrayal to Jacob. Anyway, it is a betrayal of his trust and of his plan and of everything that he thinks he is sacrificing in order to keep the ranch so there's there's the question that's the first question to ask is well the, well there's two questions to no, ask i'm asking here. you directly though like so you you are you're thinking i'd like to think that i could i don't know that i would i don't know that i would it, it, i don't know okay. that i have such courage or my convictions to go against him in this way but i don't know i think Kara Dutton may be a more courageous person than me i mean could you could you could you do what Kara did I think I could. My worry would be about my relationship and about making sure that, you know, I continue to be able to have that trust and that loyalty, you know, between the two of us. I would, I would be worried about the relationship. I do think, though, after tending to him for all the months that she did, and, and I mean, she did a great job of just going right in there, wiping your ass like an infant. I mean, damn. I... <laughs> <laughs> there's there's a few things you could probably say to a guy that would like really be like no like you listen to me um i mean that that was that was in well, your let's face listen to, let's listen to the because they are connected it is it is one long conversation that takes place yeah, over several this is minutes just, yeah and it really continuing from months ago really yeah let's take a listen and then we'll uh we'll finish this this thought how dare you give your back to me just great sound engineering that they allow her to start from inside the house coming out and the way mm. the the boom mics in this episode and the combination of boom mics and ADR is doing a lot of work with Jacob and Kara and the outdoors. There's a lot of miking and sound issues that they're picking up and sound mixing they're picking up here. But just listen to the clip the way it starts with her. She's yelling from inside the house as she's coming out. Let's, uh, let's take a listen. How dare you give your back to me? After all I've given to you, it's not even justice. It's more petty than that. It's vengeance you seek. Never mind, he'll be arrested in the morning. 
you'd rather put the bullet in him yourself. Then it's you in prison, and the ranch is lost all the same. You think it's you who suffered the most? How would you know you were asleep half the time? Well, I bathed you and spoon-fed you like an infant. I wiped your ass like an infant. Well, I shoveled graves between unanswered prayers. You don't know what it is to suffer. Emma did. She suffered her way into the hole I dug her. Elizabeth knows it. Father in the ground, family gone, stuck in this house like a dungeon. Can you fathom the strength it took for that girl to smile again? If there is a line farming for vengeance, you are at the back of it. We've abandoned any desire for vengeance, even Jack, for you. I wonder if your pride can withstand the sacrifice of showing us the same courtesy. It, it sounds almost like Kara and Elizabeth got on the same page with the, if you allow hatred into your heart, it closes off the ability to love. So I have to not hate uh, who did this to you so that I can continue to love you. Uh, very well, much that's, echoing that's that conversation. That's what I was talking about, like the value system. Like, how do you be the tough person you need to be? How do you, how do you be strong enough to get through this yet? not close yourself off, not become a bad person, not become a vengeful person. Like that's to me a, a huge question mark of all of Yellowstone. How do you do this and still be remotely a good person? Well, this is this is a question that gets this is a question that gets asked all the time, especially in mainline Yellowstone. It's are are you supposed to root for the Duttons? They're villains. And, and a lot of people take it that way. A lot of people watch the show. They see what the Duttons do, and they do villainous things. They do what they have to do to protect this thing. Why? How can it matter, possibly matter so much to, to compromise your morality, to do such bad acts and cloak it in the name of good things? It, well, it's it's genetic. It, it's it's literally been handed down for for multiple generations, seven generations, truly. Right. Of of there's not a question. It is not it is not a question to ask. There is not an opinion to be swayed here. This is what Duttons do. Duttons do whatever they need to do to protect this land. Period. End of sentence. End of so, story. And you're using a lot of words like villain and you're using and you're saying like do bad things and cloak it and good. I don't think cloaking it and good. That's not it. That's not that's not that's what they, how they do. sell it. They don't wake up in the morning wanting to do bad things and then try to make up a reason for it. Maybe Beth does, but I don't think anybody else does. I think that they do the things that need to get done. And there's a sacrifice that comes along with that that tends to be your easy soft side you know or the side of you that that wants everybody everybody and everything to be on the up and up all the time that gets sacrificed to what has to get done it's kind of like it's finding out how the sausage is made kind of thing like nobody wants to slaughter anybody but that's how the sausage is made you know it's that they're not trying to cloak it in something good it's just that's what has to happen the sausage involves a lot of murder 
The sausage involved. Making <laughs> so the sausage does the in- Yellowstone, Mike. <laughs> yeah, making the sausage involves a lot, a lot of murder. So it yeah, they does. wake up. They wake up to do what has to be done. But what has to be done? But they're sausage makers, is, which includes murder. Well, yeah. So it just does. So let, let's finish the let's finish the trifecta of conversation. So they have this conversation. Jacob doesn't answer her. Jacob knows, which is how you know Jacob knows that she's right because he doesn't respond. He stalks off and and he saddles this horse and side note there's no way jacob in the condition he's in could buckle the saddle underneath the horse there's no way he could bend over and buckle the saddle uh to get the saddle to stay on the horse but they skip over that and there is this infectious grin when he gets up in the saddle and he's back in the saddle for the first time in however many months now since since the attack has happened which it makes you not really worry too much about how he actually buckled the saddle because it is such an infectious smile. You feel his joy of being in the saddle, but he doesn't respond to carrot is the point. And he goes off. They all need to call. What do you think of that? Is that bullshit? That he doesn't respond. No. That he just that he just turns his back and takes off. On no, his she knows. Okay? No, because they both know that they, they both know she's right. And mm-hmm. and this okay. is the cool down period. One, I think one of the keys to 40 years of successful marriage is when you know you're beaten, but you're not quite ready to admit it yet. Best not say anything, because maybe you're going to say something real snide and or nasty that is just you licking your wounds. So go stuck off, go cool down and you come back. And he does. And he does. And they finish the conversation. Now, we have to review, though. He said earlier We're being squeezed from all sides. This is a matter of survival. She says in this conversation, no, it's not about justice. And he says, he says, justice is a luxury. I don't, justice is a luxury. I'm just worried about survival. She says, you're not worried about justice. You're worried about uh, vengeance. You're petty. You just want vengeance. Nighttime falls. He has time. Apparently he's been out on the range this entire time. He has cooled off. After he yells at the kids to close their window because we hear them humping, (laughs) he gets down and he has a conversation. Now, this is a very long clip that I cut out the middle part. But you guys, go listen to this entire three-minute clip. It's important. I think if you want to understand who the Duttons are, the Duttons... This would be on their coat of arms. This is is the thesis statement of why the Duttons are the way they are and why they act the way they act. It's this three-minute clip that Jacob finally finds the words to explain it to Kara why it matters. Let's take a listen. You saved my life. I know it. I did not need to be told. It's not vengeance. It's preservation. That's what they'll do to this place. Damn the rivers. Flood the valleys. Cut every tree that stands to build cities. This paradise becomes another concrete desert. I'm not going to kill them for what they've done to me or what they've done to John or what they're still doing to you. I'm going to kill them. Because the men who build cities always send men like Banner first. I do it for their child, a child I'll never meet. I do it for the land. I do it for you. So that when you're laid to rest under the aspens, 
No one cuts him down, builds a city over you. I know how much you've suffered, and I thank you for it. It's their turn now. God damn it, it's their turn now. It would be easy to chalk that up to very corny when he says, I do it for the land. But man, I'm so engrossed in the entire thing. I am leaning forward on my couch, drinking in every word he is painfully delivering because it is literally costing him all of his emotion and all of his vulnerability is is he's laying it bare here. It doesn't trick me as corny at all. I believe him when he says, I do it for the land. I do it for you so that when you're buried, they don't pave a city, they don't build a city over you. Man, I feel that. I feel that. And I understand. I understand, Jacob. I get it. And I think Kara does, too. I think Kara does, too. How did this whole thing hit you? The rundown that he did of all the reasons why and how it makes him feel and why he why he does everything he does. I mean, it was good for the audience. She already knows it so really it was really just for our benefit that he reminds us why they do what they do but she needed to be reminded though too because she she's thinking it's vengeance for his sake and his pride's sake and yeah i'm sure there's a little bit in there but it's not vengeance for his sake it's vengeance for the land's sake it's vengeance for what he perceives them doing to kara's sake you know to kara and for her sake that's a different kind of vengeance you know you have to remember that the concept of vengeance comes with a price. When you go into a situation thinking that vengeance is your goal, I don't think good things come of that. Kara gets what he's saying. He, She understands. She knows what's at stake. I really do believe that. But she's trying to caution him against, you know, everything we're talking about. Like, how much are we sacrificing? How many, how many people inside this house are having their hearts, you know, broken in half, their souls broken in half, their everything. I mean, look at the people we've lost, you know. They lost Emma not to the shootout, per se, but to the consequences of the shootout. That's something that he's not thinking about. You know, he's not thinking about what are the consequences of your, of this next part. Okay, I think he is aware of it, though. He he heard her earlier when she said that, that she, she, she sacrificed herself into a grave. But he's saying here, none of that is more important than preserving this land. That's his POV on that? That's the Dutton POV. Well, but what I'm trying to say is that she's trying to remind him, though, they're individual people that you're playing with here. You know, and so I think this is one of those this is us things where it's like both things can be true. It can be very important to save the land and you cannot basically put your individual family members through a meat grinder in order to do it because it's just not going to turn out the way you want. There'll be no one left to live on this land that you fought so hard for. Because they'll all be these like husks of humans, you know, who who have like ravaged other people's lives in order to have the life they have and they won't be able to live with themselves. So I feel that she's she's trying to be like the Jiminy Cricket. Like, I get it. I understand. And also you have to maintain some amount of humanity in all this. 
Well, she she must have gotten through to him, right? Because he didn't go kill Banner, which is where she thinks he's going when she follows him outside and and calls him on his pride and calls him on the list of vengeance is long and he is at the back end of it. She she thinks that's that conversation starts with her saying, even though he's going to be arrested in the morning, you still want to be the one to put the bullet in him. And that's when she calls it petty vengeance. But he doesn't. I mean, they at least they didn't show it to us anyway. So let's go with the fact that he didn't go kill Banner. He just spent the last several hours cooling off from and licking his wounds that she so deftly, you know, gave to him. The fact that he didn't go kill Banner and he could have, right? Banner has been able to be killed this entire time. They've been lying low because they were waiting for Spencer to get home so they can make a mounted offense. But here he was going out back to go do the deed himself. And she talked him down from that and he didn't do it. So he did hear her. He did hear her because he didn't take that action. He is he is deferring to, it seems anyway, letting the law, because allegedly they're going to go arrest him the next day, uh, according to what the sheriff says, he's going to let that play out, it seems. So he did hear her. But I think I think it's important to listen to that whole clip again, not for Jacob and Kara. Not not specifically for them, but for the universe of the Yellowstone, for the 140 years that this property has been in Dutton hands. Why? Why the single-minded focus? As someone who lives in New York, and I grew up in New York in the 80s, and I, you know, I, I saw the graffiti, I saw the pollution, I, you know, the jokes about the East River, you couldn't even hide mafia dead bodies in the East River anymore because they would just float to the surface. It was so polluted. I lived in there listening to him talk about, imagine if the city wasn't there, and then and what the city did to that land, that's what's going to happen here. I felt it. I, I it really hit home to me. I, I I always understood why the Duttons did it, but I think this was the best summation of their cause and their pathos uh, and their ethos that we've ever heard on any of the shows. I agree. And, and who better to, to tell us than Papa Harrison, right? Yeah, he's I mean, he's deep in his like Morgan Freeman. Yes. Let me let me grandpa to you. <laughs> come on my knee kind of talking here. Very much I, and so. he's going through all the motions. I mean, he's acting his ass off in this scene. The way he his voice cracks at certain parts, but then at the end when he steals his voice and he says it's now now it's their turn. They're stealing yeah. his voice. He stops and it's not mushy anymore. And it's not um I'm thinking of you being not being paved over by a city. He steals his voice and says now it's their goddamn turn. Man, that's chills. That's chills. Uh, Agreed. Huge, I agree. Huge part. Huge part of the episode. I think maybe the most, maybe one of the three most important minutes probably in Yellowstone, uh, you know, across the universe. Let's talk about the sheriff a little bit. Do you trust him? Well, let's back it up. I want a quick yes or no. Do you trust that man? If you're a Dutton, do you trust that man? Yes, because you don't know that he threw a badge at one of Banner's men. They, they, Kara knows. Kara doesn't know that it's one of Banner's men. I don't think so. No, 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 no. Kara knows. Watch that scene careful. Oh, she, okay. Well, she looks back at him like, what are you doing? And I'm not saying that she knows he's Banner's men. I'm saying that she listened to what, what Jacob said about if he's too oh, charming, yeah. if he's too whatever, don't believe this. And watching how quick the decision is made with the sheriff, like, it's like slide the badge, slide the badge back, slide the folder 
across. Like it happened so quickly that she she does look like, uh, what are you doing? Oh, see, I took it differently. I took it not that she understood that he was Banner's men. I took it more as no, that. No, I'm not saying she's she thought he was one of Banner's men. I'm saying she wasn't ready to hire him. Well, yeah. And he hired him so quickly that I would be like, what are you doing? Like, I thought right. this was a. We were doing this together for one. Oh, yeah, no, I 100% agree with that. She she definitely felt like her toes had been stepped on. But mm-hmm. I don't know that it shook her trust in him. I mean, if she didn't trust him, she wasn't going... She, she Immediately after that, she conveyed the largest family secret to him. So she clearly still trusts him, though. Okay. Don't, you don't think? I mean, she the, the immediate after of that yeah, yeah, yeah. is, but I have to show you something. She, as an audience member, as the podcaster part now, should she trust him? And I'm saying like, man, I don't know. I, I don't trust him as an audience member anymore because of that interaction. Now, I know that Kara did definitely go back to him and decide. And, and I don't I don't even know if that's even trust so much as like the lesser of two evils. If it's like, you know, if I'm going to have to go send a man into battle and my choice is my man or the sheriff i'm gonna send the sheriff let's let's back it up a little bit because we're, we're jumping the gun let's let's listen to kara put down spur uh who has who doesn't understand the power dynamic in this room which is important because watching her interview spur heightens why the sheriff coming over top of her and hiring clive afterwards hit her so hard now it's a visual scene because she's doing some visual acting and and some side eye giving but you get the tone of what's happening here so this is spurs interview and then the beginning part of clive's interview that we're going to listen to right now are you currently employed ma'am do you have a job in the spring i have a job when the snow mounts what ranch ma'am why are you so curious about where I work? Well, you're applying for the position of livestock agent. Would stand to reason we consider your previous employment while making a decision. Who's conducting this interview? I am. What the hell does a woman know about law enforcement? Absolutely nothing. But I know men. You see, I can look in a man's eye and know if he can be trusted. If he can maintain his composure while facing adversity, an element of this interview you seem to be failing. My own mama never talked to me like that. Mm, maybe she should have. Ain't a fucking woman on this. Have a seat. Thank you, sir. So, are you currently employed? No, ma'am. I have a homestead north of Big Timber. That's a long ride from Big Timber. Three days or more, but three hours by train. They mentioned shrink the world, eh? For better or for worse. I think worse in the long run. <laughs> you may be right. We should mark the calendar, ma'am. It's rare when that happens. Now, at that moment, she arches her eyebrow because he's being very charming. And she realizes that he's being charming. And the advice that Jacob had given her comes flooding back to her. And her whole face changes. She she becomes very quiet in that interview from that point on. And it's really the sheriff and Clive had that whole conversation about him being a former cop in Chicago at the stockyards. And, you know, thieving is a, is a important to him. And he, you know, he just it's in his blood kind of thing. So she's already cocking her eyebrow because she has definitely picked up on the he's too charming. I can't hire him not knowing anything else, but it's, it's, it's literally the red flag that Jacob had primed her for. So then when the sheriff does come over top and hires her after giving him def giving her deference with spur, I mean, to the point of allowing Jack to pistol whip spur and then throwing him out of the office. Don't forget your hat. 
it, it's like it's a very whiplashy thing. So the question is, so so people know, let's not have any mistake here. We have seen this character. This character has appeared in episodes three and four and is going to be in many more for the rest of the season. I think he's in every episode now for the rest of the season. His name is Brian Connewall is playing the character. He is one of Banner's guys. He has been in his posse. I think he was there even at the shootout. He has appeared as a Banner man. He is 100%. Let's not have any mistake about that. So the question is, does the sheriff know that? Did the sheriff, because there is, the devil's advocate to the sheriff is corrupt here is, they had only hired two people. Jacob said they needed to hire 20. This guy has legitimate experience. He understands the job. He was a cop. He understands 220, more money than I was making as a cop. Like, he has legitimate experience. So if you're a desperate law enforcement guy looking to staff the agency, of course you're going to hire this guy. How do you turn him away? You have you have no grounds other than intuition to not hire him if you're well, the sheriff. What we need to remember as the audience is that Kara hasn't told him about the banner shootout yet at this right. point. We have to remember that he doesn't have all the same information about banner and his men that we do i am watching the murdaw murders the murdaws all have red hair <laughs> and so every single time i see this guy i'm like murder <laughs> because it's like it's like there's there's so few and far between to have red-headed characters and it's like all my characters are red-headed and villainous right now that's very very funny it's hilarious as soon as i saw him i'm like oh, red hair <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. I'm like, do you know the Murdaws? So, so here's the thing. So, so you got to give Jacob credit. He gave her good advice. She definitely had it in hand. Go watch her face. She understands that this guy is a problem. Without understanding he's a batteran, she knows that he is a problem. The sheriff undercuts her. Now, they didn't even get to have this conversation because they arrive home. They have, a, and then her and Jacob get into their own stuff. But they do have a brief conversation of, were you able to hire any more men? She says, only a few. Jacob says, well, whoever we can't hire will raise in the posse. And that's what actually starts their fight that we love the clips that we played. That's the lead in to the uh, first clip we played about being squeezed from all sides. Jacob understands that it's going slow. Kara understands that it's going slow. And maybe in the emotion of everything that's happened, maybe she's going to forget about Clive for the moment. But at some point, she's going to remember this guy was too slick by half. He was too charismatic. And I didn't hire him. The sheriff hired him. So whether or not the sheriff is in fact on the payroll it's going to cast doubt in Kara's mind i would think because the sheriff should understand this whole charismatic rule also but you're right he doesn't have all the information that the duttons have is it fair to judge him without having all the information because again on paper and not knowing that banner had tried to kill jacob and did kill john and, and did all kill the duttons <laughs> and, yeah and did kill mr uh mr strafford you know without knowing all of that information yeah so it's it's interesting uh, do i think he's corrupt i i want to say no but we know Donald Whitfield has a ton of money. We know that he's not going to be above trying to bribe officials, right? That's just how these kinds of villains play out. And now if you are looking at weak sides, especially when he shows up at the house and he sees what kind of state Jacob is in, Jacob rips open his shirt and says, you want proof? And he oh starts ripping God. open his shirt was to show his like bullet holes. Was such an amazing Harrison moment of him actually ripping his undershirt? I was, was like, look at this man. Like, this is fierce. That's I love that that's, moment. That's, that's where Callista gets I mean, she's seeing, <laughs> she's seeing that that fury. Uh, yeah, so I mean, but weaker sides, right? Are you the Duttons? They're down to they're down to Jacob and Jack. 
and Kara, you know, and a, and a pregnant young girl inside versus the Whitfield and all of his money and Banner and all the angry sheep herders. We, you have to use Yellowstone mainline as, as an example. Remember Denny, the sheriff was on the payroll of Jenkins, right? Uh, mm-hmm. at, at the start of that show. He was not a friend to John, even though John maybe thought they were. And then he revealed himself as not being a friend to John. Yes, before Denny died, he did come back around, but he was not a friend to the Duttons. So sheriffs and Duttons don't have a great history in our in our universe that we've uh, that we've seen before. Well, we I bet we're going to find out where that's rooted in. And also, you don't hire Robert Patrick not to play a significant role. Whether it's heel, whether it's it's a traitor, or whether it is actually a good, you know, I'll be your Huckleberry kind of thing, he's going to have some significant role, I would think, in the remaining episodes of the show and maybe into season two if we, in fact, stay in 1923. A lot of stuff. A lot of stuff. Kara and Jacob really occupied a lot of my brain watching uh, watching this episode tonight. Oh, one thing that did come out, and before we move off of Kara, Jacob, and the Sheriff, huge news. We learn about the birth of the train station. Let's take a listen to this clip. For God's sakes, Jacob. You're damn long, man. You know how bad this looks? It's just like I said. And there's a dozen witnesses that say the same. But no proof anywhere. You want some fucking proof? Jeez, some fucking proof! And there's more proof buried in our graveyard here. And even more proof shipped back east and buried there. Where's all the bodies of the Crichton men? Running on the Wyoming border. Uh, yeah, you sure got a lot done for a dead man. What would you have done different? I would have told the sheriff. You think you could have kept the bank away? Along with every thief from Laramie to Whitefish? I understand what the bank would have done. And I know what the thieves would have done. If you died, but you didn't. And you still sat on this. Now, I know what you're up to. And I won't allow it. Wyoming's already had a range war. Montana ain't having nothing. I'll arrest him in the morning. In the meantime, everybody, and that means you, gives a statement to the deputies. Listening to that, and the information as the sheriff is learning it now in real time he has a point right you didn't die so the bank wouldn't have taken the land from you as it turns out you made your payments and it wouldn't have come down to a woman holding the lease you weren't dead the thieves and miners wouldn't come because again you weren't dead so all that leaves is the law enforcement angle of it and we've had this fight law versus cowboy justice he told him when he when he hung when jacob king clean about hanging banners men you can't do the cowboy justice bullshit and he says to him well then you need to get your officers out there to patrol the land or else i'll do it and you've seen how i do it they've had this fight already in this show this is not new territory but now it's serious because he's sitting here watching jacob's shirt ripped open with nine bullet holes in it we're learning about dead john he's learning about dead strafford all of that it's crazy he has a point the sheriff has a point here doesn't he He, uh, yeah he absolutely does i mean this is also his part of the how do you maintain and also do like the right thing but also you have to walk the straight and narrow like there's there's all these 
unknowns when you're dealing with nature where where right and wrong all has to do with where you're sitting, you know, for your point of view, because telling the law doesn't necessarily get you what you need in, in this situation. So everybody has a point here, you know, respectfully across the board. Everybody has their reasons. I would love to know how, in fact, Jacob found that the border, the Wyoming border, was the yes. right place to start dumping bodies. But this is the first confirmed sighting of the train station being in use. So the train station, for people that don't know or don't watch mainline Yellowstone, train station is the euphemism used for where Duttons dump their their enemies. It is a mm, kind of a purgatory in an enforcement way. It exists in a county that has actually no people, so it has no law enforcement. It's right over the border between Wyoming and Montana. It's kind of this Bermuda Triangle of jurisdiction. And so the Dutton have exploited that now for a hundred years and they have dumped all of their enemies down in the ravine over this. This was so huge and a shout out to the mainline Yellowstone fans because people are obsessed with the train station and this is the first time we get to hear that there are rotting corpses over the Wyoming state border. Huge, huge. My ears, I, I did a fist bump, I think, when <laughs> the first time I watched the episode. So it, it is exciting to get some of those answers that we wanted for a the whole universe. Piece, a huge, yeah. huge lore piece in the, in the Yellowstone is. universe. It is. That's awesome. There is a quick conversation before we leave Jacob. There's a conversation where he's walking with Zane. Uh, it's interesting because he's making plans. Jacob is firmly making plans for Spencer. He's predicting six to eight weeks for a boat ride, another week by train. So let's say seven to nine weeks for Spencer to be home. And then we're going to go get their asses, right? That he's, he's pumped. Like you, you almost feel like he's walking as well as he is because the thought of Spencer coming home and being able to go on the offense is fueling his, his rehabilitation here. Now, Zane has made, raises a good question. A lot of the Cowboys have moved off to California. And Jacob's response is great. He says, the quitters went to California. There are still some tough ones around. Find a posse. So the question is, are there, in fact, tough ones around? Because we only have three livestock agents. So if there is going to be a posse called at some point, I'm curious who's going to be making up that ranks. It's going to be some BC list level Cowboys. I mean, it would seem that way, but I, but at the same time, I mean, we know that there's got to be some good guys still around, but that's just in theory because, you know, when they talk about the squeeze that they're going through with everyone from the north and the south and everything, you start to get into like a distance issue, you know, where it's like, yeah, there's good guys, but they're like... 50 miles away or something, you know, like it starts to just get to be where people own the land all around. I don't I don't know how many people they're going to be able to gather. How many people are left is a, is a legitimate question, right? Jack, this is Jack's mm -hmm. thing. He's been grousing about how everyone is literally it's saying it seems selling and, and fleeing from Paradise Valley. And of those, how many of those are the tough ones that Jacob is talking about? You know, who who will stand up to Banner and stand up to Whitfield? They have to be the tough ones and they have to be the uncorrupted ones. Right. So you have to be tough and not on the take. That is the that's going to be hard to find. We got to talk about Jack and Elizabeth, because as much strife as Kara and Jacob are having in this episode, 
Jack and Elizabeth in the afterglow of, of realizing she is pregnant. They are the opposite of Kara and Jacob. They are in I love you. No, I love you <laughs> mode. Very mushy. What are you taking of this? How do you know you're pregnant conversation? You can't get pregnant a second time, so we should practice. <laughs> Humping with the window open in the wintertime. Uh, are these two growing on you? Do they hold a candle for you to Spencer and Alex? Oh, gosh. You know, I know they're probably trying, but no, they're not. They're not because Spencer and Alex, they, they are just a nonstop, like, romance party. These two have their ebbs and flows. But, you know, I thought it was funny. Again, I, I think it was neat when, you, when you're trying to talk about how did people deal with everyday things. Like, how did you know you were pregnant when you're not going to the doctor and you're not, you know, you don't have the, you know, your little, your little pregnancy test to pee on or whatever. Like, that was a good thing to bring up. It was kind of one of those run of the mill everyday life kind of like pauses where it's like, this is what it would have been like had you lived in 1923. This is the conversation you might have had. So that was fun and good and a good reminder of where we are in, in time and history. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm all for you can't get pregnant twice. <laughs> right? He's not wrong when There's he says... There's a lot of hormones and a lot of like, uh, like extra like, uh, like blood and everything kind of like going to the, to the nether regions, if you will. So the good parts, I, is that what I, I could see where, uh, you know, you got, you got swollen boobs and everything. I mean, you know, I don't know. I could see where you want to get some action. Blood rushing to the bits is always a good thing, I think. <laughs> and I, I, like I said, he's not wrong. It is a great time to practice. You can't sure. get in trouble. Twice. I mean, come on. Hey, why not? Uh, what uh, else is there to do at the old Yellowstone right? at night? I mean, come on. Well, especially when you're in lockdown. I mean, uh, Kara yeah. even, Kara talking about Elizabeth refers to her being stuck in a dungeon. But at least make it a sex dungeon, y'all. Right. That's what we're saying. Hey, if the pandemic has taught us anything, it's when people are locked in the house, they, this is what your entertainment options are. A lot of babies being born cold pandy. Oh, yes. <laughs> a lot of Omicrons running, out, uh, running, running around out there. I have so many cousins with babies right now that are all pandemic babies. It's crazy. I think there's like somewhere between four and eight babies. That I can think of at the top of my brain. Now, one of the things that we talked about in the show first began was we knocked these two as being a little hard to watch because of the level of immaturity. Over the course of now six episodes, have you seen the maturity there? Are, are, do, you, do you like these characters better? Are these better, more fleshed out, more real characters to you? I think it's a good time to take stock of Jack and Elizabeth, who I think were the two big question mark characters out of the show coming out of the gate. Well, they definitely felt like red shirts for a hot moment because they had this puppy love and this, you know, just like super innocence and, you know, like the world is a beautiful place. Like they seemed ripe for for killing off. So I, so it's interesting that they've made it. You know, what does that say? Because, you know, Elizabeth was the Elsa. Or Jack could have been sort of that same type of young love kind of character. And, um, you know, we all know what happened to Elsa. What happens with these two? What do I think of them? Well, they're still, <laughs> they're still young and annoying in their own little sort of puppy love way. But... But they're bringing some energy to the show that that we need, right? I mean, we need that moment on the porch where Harrison's like, "We can hear you." Like, I mean, we need some some laugh breaks, some little chortles, some. This is what again. What would it really be like? How quiet must it be without any appliances, without any TV, without any cars, without anything? I can't imagine anyone could have a conversation anywhere that people couldn't hear 
much less, you know, having sex. Like, I feel like the right thing would have been was for Jack to, to yell back, we can hear you too. You know, like, you're the two talking on the porch outside our window. Like, where's the total voyeur, though? She was sitting where she, she was because she was kind of laughing and giggling. I mean, think about the letters between her yeah. and Spencer, you know, yeah. and Elsa's a, uh, you know, the, the, you know, robbed her of her favorite hobby of watching him fall in love. You know, not now. <laughs> she, accent is that old thing you like? You kind of made her a man. <laughs> that's Elsa. Well, I mean, I, I don't want to sound silly trying it's to. Funny. It had robbed them of her favorite hobby. <laughs> no Elsa that's in this funny. episode. I, I, I took note of that. It actually, the episode, the whole episode ran before I sat and I realized I was like, there was not one Elsa voiceover in this, which Very interesting. True. Interesting, interesting. So, yeah. So, I mean, so that's how I feel about Jack and Elizabeth. I think that they're, I think that they serve their purpose right now. They, they are the representation of the next generation, of the future. They said that point blank. This is the future in her belly right here. So now that we know that. The child of a child I'll never meet. We've got to keep our spotlight on them and pay attention to them because they're not just them. They also symbolize, you know, next steps. They symbolize, you know, that hopefulness and that innocence and all that stuff. So if and when those two go out, we know that this is this, you know, additional nails in the in the coffin of how the Duttons became the Duttons. Insert a clip of I believe the children are the future here. (laughs) I'm not really going to do that, but you understand, though, because unless you want me to sing it, y'all, I will. No. No! That's okay. okay. I'm hurt. I'm hurt. That's okay. Uh, Funny you mentioned how quiet it must be there. One of the things Kara said before her and Jacob started to fight was that it was going to be an expensive nursing because she is going to get a generator, a clothes washing machine, and a motor car out of wiping his infant ass and feeding him (laughs) and bathing him. Uh, So, yeah, Kara's going to take her pound of modern flesh i love it I, I i love i love a lady who's willing to do some leveraging <laughs> let's talk about tiona let's talk about tiona and hank before we get to uh the good stuff or the other speaking good stuff. of people i am unsure of their trustworthiness i am starting to feel very nervous about hank so so set the table why are you feeling nervous about hank for people that i think there are people that only listen to us and don't watch the episodes so i always feel an obligation (laughs) to set the table a little bit okay well but we also assume you've seen the episode so right we say that at the beginning Well, because you don't want to be spoiled but if they're if if the diehards are out there just listening to us like like an old-time radio show all right folks well we're back with hank and tiona And and they're deciding she needs some sort of disguise. So she's going to wear Hank Jr.'s clothes, what have you. You know, okay, so now we know there's a son that's that's close to her age, we're assuming. And, you know, that's like, okay. But my issue is that Hank's promise to her was that he would get her to her father. It's unclear how much time has passed. I, I don't think that that's super clear with the with the Tiona storyline. Not line. much, but I, not, not much. Right. But some. And the idea that we now have to wait around for this son, he's got to eat, and then he's got to sleep, and then he pauses and is all, and then we'll get your dad. I was like, wait a minute, like, do not make this weird, Hank. I mean, are you vibing off of him? Are you starting to feel nervous? I'm not, but only because I can't, I can't allow anything worse to happen to Tiona. My heart 
cannot entertain that she is going back to that psychotic priest and all those things better buckle up i I understand it see this happening all nicey nicey i think and i think Fiona's thinking that too i I think this is like when the uber driver passes the street that you know he should have turned on that we're at that point of the story okay we're in the uber we're buckled in things have been fine but you know that was the turn and they didn't take it so Let, let's what? add to your let's add to the possible conspiracy theory too okay. because he's he says to her outside we need to burn all of your school things right mm-hmm. so they can't find them but then he stops at the bible and he says you know i was in their prison meaning white man's prison and i was there long enough they read the bible to us ever a little bit of the bible to us every single day and i was in prison long enough to hear the whole bible twice and their god and he's talking about old testament god their god gets hella pissed he floods <laughs> he burns he kills he salts we shouldn't burn these bibles i don't want to you know in case in case their god is not some myth i don't want to be on the wrong side of him by burn by burning his bible his book so let's bury his book well yes he's he's not wrong here he's not he's not wrong in 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 taking a, a precaution what does it cost him right the difference between burying and, and burning but if you want to you can look at this from a view of he's a secret converted bible lover you know he he is working for the priest or he's in cahoots with them and that is why he doesn't want these things to burn it's it, it would be some kind of sacrilege to him that is a possible take okay do you remember when he first introduced himself and he introduced himself as hank and i said i have concerns that he has bought in too much into the white way of life if he meets another Native American and introduces himself by his white man's name. That, to me, was a red flag. And you're right. Not being willing to burn the Bible, not being willing to do something like real horrible to it. That also, second red flag. You don't get that many red flags before you're all covered up in red flags. I'm very, very worried. Very worried. And the more you said that, now I'm even more worried. I'm a little nervous. Now. I actually just in real time I put the Bible thing together with the pause. But let's let's back up. Wait, and so you are a little more nervous now because we're I'm, what we're talking I'm about. I'm not, but it made sense though, because because oh. well because here's the so let's back it up though. Because she says we're you know, he gets here, we're gonna go, he's you're gonna send the find my father, and he says, No, first he's gonna eat and then he's gonna sleep, and then he'll go find your father. But there was a pause. But no, None of that is unreasonable. But that's not unreasonable, right? There are some people that say, what's your plan? And there are some people are like, he's going to go get you. I'm going to send him to find your father. And then there are other people you say, what's your plan? And they say, step one, he eats. Step two, he sleeps. Step three, he will then go find your father. He's just giving a detailed plan. That is a legitimate take too. And I think the show is being smart because it's, it depends, it depends on how you want to look at it, right? Are you looking at it from the one side where it makes everything look larger? Or are you looking at it from the other side where it makes everything look smaller, right? Are you looking at everything it? Everything looks smaller. <laughs> is he a secret agent for the, for the resident school? I don't think or he's is a he, secret agent. Or is I just he think a loyal that maybe... sheep herdsman? Maybe. I'm not saying he drank all the Kool-Aid, okay? But I'm nervous if he took some sips 
and I'm just nervous. He about does it. have the donated res sheep, though. So someone on the res trusted him with that, and and it True. was and it was Tiona's father that we know he was the one runs with uh, runs his horse right. is the one who inherited those sheep. So he gave those sheep, or at least a portion of those sheep, to Hank to keep watch over. So runs his horse presumably trusts Hank, which is something that you have to count in his favor. Yeah, it, it's very very possible. It, it depends on. How how you want to look at it, but I think the show is smart, especially with the trauma. Why did they show us Tiona go through so much? One, because it was true and historical. It, it, it's the kind of thing, the kind of abuse that people in her position, you know, suffered. But two, now, because every person she comes across, you're going to worry that they're a monster that is going to do her harm. We are we are having PS, PTSD on her <laughs> behalf. That's what you're feeling right now. I'm feeling it too. I think a lot of viewers are probably feeling it. Like, oh, that, that bush, that bush is over there looking at her wrong, you know? No, but this is more that. than that. Like my my woman instinct is all kind of kicking in. Like I, I'm just saying, she's well, alone, and now you're bringing another man to the to where I am. You're bringing another man to where I am, but we don't have time to go find my dad. Mm, you're making me worried. I'm just assuming this is your son because you told me it's your son, but I don't even know this is your son. I, before we before we leave off of these guys, I want to talk about Tiona meditating on the naming schemes that the white man uses because the way she goes off about how they love their names so much they name their sons their same name and then eventually they get into numbers and the names mean nothing and i found this was like the show winking at the viewers because of the obsession in the fandom over john john one john two john three dabney coleman john kevin costro john dead john jack is maybe john how many johns are there john i i thought it was the show winking a little bit because people go so crazy trying to figure out the family trees that that she has this whole like little discussion and commentary all in her native language none of it spoken in english about how the names are insane and the numbering systems are insane i thought it was like a little wink from taylor to the fans like funny. like y'all should funny. probably chill out you're you're probably a little too obsessed with it uh, <laughs> i love it but what does it mean though but but then but then hank rejects hank jr he's not down for hank jr he he, he picks joe i'm i am worried I'm worried about a second man. <laughs> Who we do not meet in this episode. But whatever. Don't go to the second location and don't want to have a second man. A, a very funny thing is he says uh, you should bury the Bibles down by the river where the ground is going to be softer. She literally walks two feet and then she starts digging. Are they right next to the river? Because he makes it sound like the river is a ways. And the ground she's was like, pretty dry where she was sticking around. Right. But maybe she's like, I, you know what? This is close enough to the river. I don't really want to be I too far like, away. You know, just realistically, I mean, I don't know, man. I feel like resources are really thin. I feel like you'd, this is, this is again, what's nerve wracking about Hank because I'd be like, I don't know. Couldn't we use it as like, you know, fuel for the fire or toilet paper or something else? Like, don't we need these, you know, and I'm not being, I'm not trying to be sacrilege. I'm just saying it's the kind of thing where it's like, I don't know. We have like three things here. Couldn't we use this for something? I mean, Tiona doesn't question it, though. I mean, when he gives his reasoning, she's like, yeah, it's her idea to bury them. Yeah. Uh, you know, so I don't know. It, it's interesting. Idea. <laughs> Let's go to the res though, because this was one of the saddest parts of this episode. Uh, Isachi, Tiona's grandmother. What a bummer. What an absolute disappointment. I Just thought a gut she, punch, uh, a total yes. gut punch. 
And can I just say for a moment, like uh, the Pinkertons, the one, the smaller guy, oh my gosh, his coat looked so gigantic on him. It looked so silly and weird. I was like, how could I take you seriously at all? You were like, you were like a little boy in man's clothing. Um, I, You're like, what do I say about that? No, no, about the Pinkertons. <laughs> I was looking at them. I was trying to get a good view of them. I think they may have been Pinkertons. There's some kind of law enforcement official. I think they may have been Pinkertons because their badge looked like it was a similar shape to the ones that we saw in 1883. But mm-hmm. I couldn't. I, I tried freeze framing it in a couple different ways. If anyone out there, any listeners out there, gets a good freeze frame on it, I'd love to see the picture. I couldn't. I couldn't stop it at any time that he turned where you could see the badge to see if it was a Pinkerton. But we do know that the Pinkerton was used for these kinds of things though and and executing a warrant mean carrying out a an arrest warrant would be something that the pinkertons would do horrible this bothered me so much because it was such an afterthought they didn't give a shit they left the door open i thought they were going to burn the place to be honest with you i honestly thought they were i feel like that would have been more respectful than leaving the door open in some ways Right, because at least she would have been cremated, but like a door open, I mean, wolves are going to come in gonna, and eat her. Yeah, right, I mean the chickens were already flying in the door, but before yeah. the camera even pulled away, so it, it hurt me. Not that she died. Well, yes, it hurt. It, it hurt me that she died. I was sad that she died. She was an interesting character in the in the brief times we got to see her. She clearly seemed strong. She seemed determined, but she was so confused, and it was so chaotic, and it happened so fast. It was. It was such a meaningless death. That's why it bothered me. It bothered yeah. me because it just shouldn't have happened. A well, shove and it, and into it, a cast iron stove. There was no and, value placed on her life at no, all. No, none. No, that, no that is value. so depressing. And these two were, are kicking down doors like they're in a Law & Order TV show. That is the smallest little hut possible. It only has two rooms. And they're acting like they're, you know... Uh, 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 tubs and Crockett, you know, looking for drugs or something. Like, where are you searching? There's nothing here. You're acting. There was nothing there. Just little men. Just little men being. In two big coats. <laughs> but the coats being a metaphor for the power given to them. And these are the exact kind of pieces of shit that get these kinds of things. Well, how did you feel about the whole scene when he says, what do you mean? Why are you asking me? You were here the whole time. You saw the whole thing. I appreciate that the guy even was kind of like, what the fuck, dude? Like, yeah, what? he actually seemed like a good person. But you know what? He buckled I, immediately. One of the good things about really great storytellers is that they tend to parallel stories. So like we have Jack and Elizabeth and Spencer and Alex to compare and contrast, right? So now we have two different lawmen in this this storyline this time we've got our sheriff and now we've got these pinkertons now clearly sheridan is saying these guys are clearly corrupt you see that right everyone right audience everyone sees this so that makes me wonder is he nodding to us about the other lawmen in the parallel story Right. Well, that's how they do it. Uh, I mean, it is, it, the parallels are certain, th- certainly there. I just don't think we have enough information yet to know. Are, that's okay. are, are they I'll the same? Are I'll they the same or are they you. different? So, <laughs> uh, yeah, horrible. Uh, 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 goodbye. Poor Asachi. Grandma. She yeah. deserved nothing. That When he's when he says uh, about uh, harboring a fugitive and she says, what's a fugitive? I was like. Everyone stop. Like, this has gone too far. I mean, all she takes away from it, because he's speaking so fast for her, is that Tiona was murdered. Right. And he's like, no, I said she did the murders. No, yeah, it was it was so meaningless. There was so little value placed on her life by these by these bastards. It it was really it was really dispiriting. It was 
Yeah, it was rough to watch. It was rough to watch. And the door being left open really bothered me. Uh, it really, really rubbed me the wrong way. So, and the crazy thing is, Hank prophesized this, right? I mean, I guess it's not crazy because people write the show. And when they wrote an episode ago, <laughs> the first place they'll look is the res. It, it makes sense that we get to see that come true. But it is a good piece of narrative storytelling. Hank told Yona, you're going to go home. It's the first place they're going to look for you. And in fact, it was the first place they looked for her. So, yeah. and what is this going to do to Tiona when she feels when she realizes her running away from the school directly led to her grandmother being killed? Exactly. Well, you know, or at least my my guts tell me that Tiona, Hank, and and maybe this son, I don't know, or maybe the son and Tiona are going to come across the grandmother. Doesn't it feel like someone's going to come across this someone's abandoned house? Her. Yeah, and it's going to be like horrifying. Yeah. Yep. Like yeah, she needs good. one more thing here. Like she Tiana. needs one more thing. To, please to give her a win. Up. Please, please, please don't let Hank be a freak out. God. Um. Yeah, crazy. All right, guys. Let's get to our lovable losers stuck <laughs> on a capsized tugboat in the middle okay. of the Red Sea. Listen to me. I wanted to choke Alex's neck. Okay? I was like, child, you are making me nuts. I mean, when he goes back down under to get his lucky robe and get some supplies and whatnot, and she eye spies that little lifesaver and thinks in her full head, I am sitting on top of this dome-shaped thing that has very little grip on any of the sides, right? So what I'm going to do is dive into the ocean to get a lifesaver that nobody needs right now? Here's, what are he, you doing? We'll see. This is what this reminded me of. There's a Friends episode where Joey has to learn French for a role he wants to audition for. <laughs> Phoebe knows French, so Phoebe's trying to teach him some basics, and he's not getting it. So she says to him, okay, I'm going to teach you Je m'appelle Claude. My name is Claude. She says, Ja, and he repeats, Ja. She goes, Ma. He goes, Ma. He goes, Pell. Pell. She goes, Claude. Joy says, Claude. Phoebe says, Je m'appelle Claude. He goes, <laughs> Stay on the center of the hull of the ship. I will stay on the center of the hull of the ship. He goes underwater. Immediately, she jumps down hey, what's into that the water. In the water I could go jump into. Like, oh my God. Spencer, Alex, stay in the center of the hull of this capsized boat. Yeah. Alex. Spencer, I will stay in the center of the hole of this capsized boat. Literally 10 seconds later, ooh, shiny. And she shoves off the road. Literally, my notes had Alex in all capital with like five exclamation points. There's I, another one of those, like, where they try to teach a little kid to say Pinocchio, and they're like, P, no, key, oh, and then he goes, like that back at them and it's like that's exactly what she did she just went like right at them i was like alex okay so this in this scene this entire scene with them which i want to talk as a whole for a moment we're going to get into their discussion okay we're going to talk about how sappy and sweet and all their beautiful words to one another but the larger whole experience was very anticlimactic for me. I mean, we had the sharks that led to nothing. He he cocks his gun. He actually is going to shoot it. And then it edits away and goes back to another storyline somewhere else. And he never does shoot into the water at the shark or anything. It was like, what? 
what the whole thing even her jumping off and then and then suddenly she can't swim at all her arms are just like these sticks <laughs> that just slap around in the water and she just she's just drowning instantly like even though before she could swim so it was like what is happening i don't know i found it chaotic and like they should have picked one danger whatever it was going to be if it was going to be she fell off of the boat and couldn't get to the to the lifesaver or if it was going to be they were surrounded by sharks and the sharks were actively trying to do something and they were going to have to kill some sharks like there was going to have to be some actual resolution with the sharks not just we panned away and suddenly it was a non-issue i mean that was weird they needed to pick one danger folly thing that they had to deal with and they already had that which was the sun and the dehydration and the is anyone going to find them so i don't know i mean did you think the sharks and the jumping into the water and all that shit was kind of overkill i mean the drama in the drama in me thought that there would be more peril more real peril and in fact the actual real peril that they faced is dehydration and sunburn like you said which is boring to which is boring on but is real show. so the question right. is do we appreciate them not creating overdone peril for the sake of making a tv show exciting and in fact just focusing on what the real life peril would be no because they didn't do that if they did what you said she wouldn't have jumped off the boat and there wouldn't have been any sharks so no they didn't well, what okay. you just said because they brought in i mean they did the music they're like duh, 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 pan away to montana Nothing happens with these sharks. No, it was I, it was super just for the money it cost for the CGI to make the sharks. I want to say, but no, they should have given that money back to the budget. You know, like they shouldn't have done that. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. I, in fact, yeah, I, I found the whole thing. There was really no sense of danger at all. A couple of things I did like. I did like that we got to see Lucky Rope be used. Yes, um, yes. I did like the cinematography of the shot of of just this boat capsized in the middle of nothing. I thought just as a stark image, as an ominous Id image, I thought yes. it did. I thought it carried a lot of weight. Just the boat flopping around in the water with nothing around it. Just completely barren on all sides. Just water in every direction you look. I thought that was actually a pretty striking image. And I felt the danger there. But you're right. If you're going to introduce smaller fish than larger fish and then sharks eating it and bumping the boat, then do something with it or don't have them or at don't all. Don't introduce it because it just makes it seem silly. And like, and I, you know, getting into what they were talking about, like I appreciated Spencer's message, which I assume you're going to play something here, you know, about the concept of nature reclaiming it so quickly and, and, you know, taking control of their situation so fast. And I get that the, the sea life was supposed to kind of represent like, look, like quickly things are just enveloping them. That's all cool, but then they shouldn't have even acted like the sharks were like a you know a whale should have come along and sprayed them with its spout or something. I learned from my mistakes. I still make plenty, like our current situation. Are you saying this was likely your last tugboat ride? No matter how this shakes out, this was my last tugboat ride. I refuse to be scared. Refuse it. I will not feel sorry for myself. 
If death is our fate, I will draw my last breath and kiss you with it, I swear to God. It ain't our fate. You're gonna need another reason to kiss me. <laughs> just before we talk about that scene, I want you to tell the people what I say, what I texted to you just now. Oh, he sent me his notes, his handwritten notes that said, Alex, with scribble writing and all kinds of exclamation points and emphatic uh, writing over her name over and over again. I was very upset with her when she jumped <laughs> off the boat. I, you know, I just, mm, I, this scene. But this was, this ends with Swoon City, though. This was Swoon City for okay, me, this Swoon end part. Swoon City all day long. But you know what? Stay in your lane. Stay in your lane with these people, okay? Don't make 15 different potential dangerous situations. Pick one thing. Stay in your lane. Let them be romantic with each other. Let Spencer even shoot some sharks if that seems to be the thing that needs to happen so he can maintain his, his like, sort of hunter status and protector status with her. Like, cool. Okay. Do those things if you're going to do them. I did appreciate the spoon. I did appreciate the, you know, with my last breath. In this scenario, it's so funny. I don't know if it's because we were listening to Kara so much in this episode or what, but this is the first time that her accent, Alex's accent, really felt, now I don't want to say out of place because that's not quite right, but it felt so heightened. It felt like extra emphasized. I'm not sure if it was because of the way that the sound was being done with the water and the boat and, and I think everything. she's shaking and stuff. I mean, she's... And maybe she's, that too. Yeah, There's something maybe about the delivery. You're right. But it, and it's a little higher pitch pitched the the whole thing really was just like this blaring light on her accent that somehow like rubbed me the wrong way oh. i'll tell you why because it layered with the anticlimactic almost just hammy you know danger part that it was coming off like oh oh save me dudley do right like it was coming off like she was tied to the railroad tracks because it was all this fake danger because they were not making any danger actually happen in the scene and then you know these dramatic like i'll kiss you with my last kit with my last breath it was it was a little too damsel in distress for me. It didn't land for me at all, which sucks because I love these two. But I think it was, this it all was worked for so me though, like, and oh. this all worked for me. See, I think I think the one thing that they've done well with these characters, and and especially Alex pulling from Spencer, is bolstering her. This idea of she is naturally courageous. They're both naturally courageous people, but being around each other makes them even more bold or rather it makes her more bold i think it actually makes him more cautious um but it makes mm, her it makes her more bold and so i think what she's doing here at the end is is summoning that she's she's trying to rally as best she can in the in the way that she knows how we we talked about it because of how they met we talked about this last week i think last week or the week before these two always have to be recommitting to each other they they for themselves and for the audience to buy them as a couple that can make it they are always having to recommit their love to each other and their commitment to each other and i think this was just the newest aspect or new newest iteration of that i liked her version of this better previous like right before the tugboat when they're in the when they're when he's going to leave her the dear john letter 
and she is still having that same type of recommitment kind of thing. But there's no danger there, though. I mean, there, there's the, no danger where they are. There okay? is, though. But okay, but they're the no, real thing because it didn't play out. But the dehydration and sunburn. Remember that some time has passed. Right? He, he gives her that little babushka thing where his I shirt know, is so wet so and funny. transparent. But he wraps her. He, he says to her, "Try and get as much of yourself under this shirt, dude. You're so tiny. Like, how big is your shirt? Is <laughs> she's gonna get herself? She's not a big woman, but I mean, she's not gonna get herself under there. Her curls maintained. So there is real danger there. Uh, the sh- not the sharks. The the sharks are silly, but the dehydration, the sunburn. I mean, she's so fair. She's literally like a red tomato later in this episode. She, she is. I I agree. Uh, and so that's real danger. And I think the the hypothermia from being in a water like a dummy, uh, together then with not having fresh water. I mean, they have a little bit of a jug, but how long is that jug going to last them that he retrieves with his gun? And the sun, that is a hot sun. That is equator sun beating down on them. Like, that is real danger. It's just not sexy, and it's not sexy in TV. And how? so how do you make dehydration and sunburn sexy in a static environment on TV? Well, you have shivering, and you have shaking, and you have you have voice modulation. And I, I think that's what they were trying to do here. Maybe it wasn't fully successful. As much as I found this whole thing anticlimactic from a peril standpoint, I like how it rallied. I liked her commitment to him, and I liked the fact that he reassured her. And he's not really someone to blow smoke up her but he says this is not our fate this is not how we die we're gonna die at some point but not like this you're gonna have to find another reason to want to kiss me i thought that was them kind of rallying for each other the way that we've seen them do when they're up in the tree or when an elephant is knocking over their their car or or however they have faced danger they have faced danger a bunch now together i think this was just that but there were some other elements there that maybe knocked it off if it's execution and delivery i appreciated everything you said and i like this concept of this recommitment because of just how young this relationship is and and how like heightened it all has been this whole time i just think that this time and i love spencer and i love alex but this time this particular episode their storyline did not work very well for me I, i i didn't i didn't fall in love with well, them again. I didn't recommit <laughs> during the during the boat stuff. Now, we move on, obviously. Well, let's take it to the night end then, because we get the foghorn of salvation. So funny when he's shooting his gun because he doesn't have a flare gun, so he's just trying to make yeah. some kind of noise. And pop- I, I had this image in my head, and I thought it every time I watched the episode in preparing to record how funny it would have been if the boat had started to shoot back at them. I don't know. If I, 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 like, like the boat was under attack That's by funny. this, like, weirdo. See, and I had a, I had a different, I had a different, but equally wacky thought. I thought they're gonna, be, he's shooting in the air. Okay. Bullets come down. The, it would have been funny if it, if he pierced his own boat uh-huh. and the boat that they're standing on starts to sink because he's shooting directly over their heads. Like I had all kinds of thoughts, but the fact that you and I are thinking these things and are not wrapped up in the peril of Spencer and Alex proves my point. We made up fan fiction that was more interesting than what we were watching on the screen, and we both did it independently of each other. That says a lot about what was going on. What was your take on the sailor mate making his, uh, that's a shiny penny you got there, Gov. We're maybe just gonna leave you here and take her with. Bro, you are not reading the room. What are you doing? What are you saying to this gruff man with his lucky rope and his gun? You know what, though? That's a man who brought a second man who's gonna take a woman away. I don't. I don't think they get very far before uh, Spencer puts them down. 
<laughs> Let's swim in the water and kill them both. But uh, yeah. yeah, no, we're, I, it's continuously reminding us that the ladies are in danger. Uh, Anything could happen. Let's get on to the Lamb Bridge. Uh, that's the name of the ship. Uh, captain Shipley. Uh, the captain so of the ship, Captain Shipley. Funny. I, how many times this week I've said, I am the captain of the ship, Captain Shipley. <laughs> Why would they do that? Why would they do that? I, they, they were pressed to come up with a name. I, I, I hope that that was historically significant. I hope there's a Captain Shipley somewhere. The actor, in case you guys didn't notice him, is this was uh, Joseph Molly, who I know as Benjamin Stark, and I maybe will always know as Benjamin Stark from Game of Thrones, but he was in Lord of the Rings, Rings of Power on Amazon this past year. Um, so he's, he has he has a lot of credits. So it was interesting to get him in here for this limited time role of, of the captain on the ship. What's your take on, what's your vibe on him? Are you getting a Predator vibe from him, right? Because let's think back to when they were originally trying to book Passage. One of the reasons that they went with old Luca was because he was someone that didn't look like he was going to try and kill Spencer in his sleep and take his woman. Were you feeling that from this French, uh, I don't know that he was French, but the ship is headed to Marseille. I mean, we could fanfic a whole mess because he gives well, the I'm ring asking off of about his your neck. Vi- I'm asking your vibe, though. What's your vibe from him? Before we listen about the rings, are you feeling safe? If you're, if you're Alex here and you're with your Spencer I think I feel safe I think I feel safe I think I feel okay you know when he you know does take the ring off and and gives it to me to use I'm thinking okay this is a guy who's who is who who's in love with love and is like willing to to part with this ring but to your point and I'm only going to give you like a two sentence tangent yeah there could be a whole storyline if this was a different movie if this happened at let's say this was a beginning of a movie yeah they kill Spencer and he tells everyone look she's wearing my my wife's ring she's clearly my wife Oh, yeah, there's sure. like a thousand things you could do with that. Oh, man, that's I, like that didn't enter my head at all, but I guess that's weird. But so my take well, on this kind of wacky, right? My take on it was, I think Miss Shipley is. He says, "I'm certain she would want you to have it." Hmm, Captain Shipley, I think certainly she will not want you to be giving her ring to some <laughs> young chippy on a boat. I mean, how do you how do you even sell that? You're saying, "Honey, you're not going to believe it." Uh, we rescued these two people on a capsized tugboat on the way to the Suez Canal, and they were going to get. Get married so they can beat immigration because they're going to the Montana mountains in the United States. Ooh. So I gave them your ring because the box of dead sailor rings, they were all too big for her little tiny sexy finger. I hope you're cool with that. Of course, Captain Shipley. I love that you gave my ring away. No, I think she's going to be like, <laughs> I was like, what whore did you give that to in Marseille, you son of a bitch? I think that's what the Captain Shipley's wife is going to say. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There, there'd be some business at home, I'm sure. I'm sure she'd she'd, (laughs) she'd want you to have it. Uh, Dude, I don't think that's true. I think you should take a poll of old Mrs. Shipley. Maybe raise her on the radio before you start giving away (laughs) the, the, the ring that you wear to see to keep you alive. You right, don't know. Alex, these two right. could be psychopaths. They're on an overturned boat. They maybe they killed the captain. They don't even have the captain's logbook, Captain Shipley. The yeah. first thing he asked for. I don't know. Let's funny. listen to the rings because I like this quote from Alex. Uh I like I like these little bits of of not Alex. I like these little bits of Spencer. There's a little bit of superstition in him. As as much of a mighty hunter as he is and this war hero, there there's some superstition and there's oh, yeah, some he's got his lucky rope. We there's know some he is. there's some lore running through through Spencer's brain. Hey but, Mike, you know what? What? I, I'm not actually superstitious. I'm just a little stitious. <laughs> Running things off a day isn't proving conducive to our current lifestyle. <laughs> no, I, I don't suppose it is. 
Very well. Though suppose you have rings. No rings. When sailors pass and you've no address to send belonging to their widows, they accumulate here. See if you can find some that fit. Rather morbid. Getting wet with a dead sailor's ring. Yes, I would endeavor to replace it the first opportunity. I don't know. Ocean almost took us. Now it gives us rings. I think I'll keep mine. I get it. I mean, he. We learn. We're going to learn at the end of this episode when we play their final clip about dreams. He's he's very much in nature and me have a relationship and you have to you have to be in accord with nature and so if the ocean tries to kill you but then gives you rings you respect that as some kind of deal being made yeah i agree in their silly sailor outfits we watch them silently get <laughs> uh get married she, she this is the second silent wedding uh yes uh well maybe even the third Maybe even the third. What's I'm the trying to think one? for a minute. Well, I was trying to noodle on. Mm, oh, I thought you were talking about Alex. And, uh, I thought you were talking about Jack and Elizabeth because we oh, hear yeah. them talk. That's but one. Don't they say they say vows when they're out there though? Yeah, but there's but there's some silent vow business too. There's there's like camera work just like going around oh, yeah. them and it's quiet and you know that it's kind these of private too. moments. You know, this is a show yeah. that they they're this is private part moments. of the way the show shoots for sure. Right, and you know we are we're not entitled to see everything uh, in these private intimate moments. The show doesn't want to show it to us. It's between them and Captain Shipley and his wife. Intimate. Ring. It's, it's intimacy is what it's it is. Intimate, what we yeah. do get to see is their honeymoon, fueled by a wonderful little basket of fruit, wine, and shower sex. Dude, that little charcuterie board, adorable. What's your take on the amount of horniness in this show? This is the horniest Yellowstone horniness. show that we've had. Uh, there, There's more nudity in 1923 than I think in all of 1883 and Yellowstone combined we have seen um, in this show it's interesting to me because it is so different. I, I, I'm curious. We weren't seeing, uh, you know, breasts and butts like this in 1883, which also was on Paramount+. Plus. Why do you think with this show that we're getting these bodice ripper romance scenes? This is some hot stuff we're getting here in the shower. Now, it's not porn, but it's, it's sexy. <laughs> it's intimate. It's it's sensual. That's what it, that's the word. It's sensual. It's hachi-chachi stuff. Sure. I'm curious why after three shows they're they're giving is giving this to us though because you imagine there are a lot of people who watch this show who are going to clutch pearls and be like this is too much this is not why i watched this show but then there's a lot of people who are like this is what i was waiting for and i does it bother you i I, I think personally caroline no it doesn't bother me one bit i'm i'm fine with it because but i don't i don't also have like i'm not sitting here watching with my grandma or anything either so for those people i could see where if they have some weekly Yellowstone date with their family, this would get uncomfortable pretty fast. But I think the majority of Yellowstone watchers are probably you know, of adult age and uh, I think it's exciting. This couple, this is who they are. So if you take away the sexiness and the sensuality and the intimacy, Spencer and Alex aren't Spencer and Alex. Like They're all about the ravishing. Yeah? Well, And they're like the white, hot, burning love that is 
fearfully you know going to burn out quick i am afraid it because it's so white hot and and they i mean my god we've all dated how many times did you talk about death with your date how many times have these two have to face death talk about death what they do for each other's dying breaths like that kind of stuff like they they are intense they're passionate in all aspects of their lives including shower time i think they're the two best kissers i've ever seen on tv Oh, they kiss in a way. Kissing? They kiss in a way that is very believable. Ooh la la! I, a lot of times you see people kiss on TV, and it's like, man. Sometimes it's really sad. It's it's sad. It's I I'm not buying it. I'm not buying the heat at They're all. Just biting on lips and stuff. Uh, yeah, in weird these ways. two have such good chemistry, though. I buy all of it. It it, it really <laughs> it, it 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 brings you into the story. It's part. It's like the why on the barn. It brings you into the story. It really sucks you in. When I mean, then they have the intimate moment after the shower sexiness. They're kind of like locking eyes. He's on top of her in the tiniest possible bed these two are going to have sex but like they are smoldering in each other's eyes it's it's hot business but it's also very intimate it's this is a private moment that we are getting to see a private moment the wedding we didn't get to see we didn't get to hear we got to see it but not hear it this we're getting we're getting to be a part of it which for good or for bad it's a choice and i i think these two sell it i think there are a lot of characters on the show that wouldn't be able to sell it i think there are a lot of characters mm -hmm. on television that wouldn't be able to sell it but this alex and this spencer totally buy it yeah i agree i think that they did the right thing like i mean we had two sex scenes essentially in this episode i think they did right by the characters i think jack and elizabeth was quiet and far more silly and goosey and right. playful and spencer and alex are like hot and heavy they know what they're doing <laughs> They're grown. <laughs> and the show, they, that's the diff, That's the difference for me between Jack and Elizabeth and Spencer and Alex. Jack and Elizabeth are kids. They're yeah. kids. And so everything is kind of silly and awkward and puppy lovish and first time experiences. Jack and uh, Alex and Spencer. Could you imagine Spencer being like saying half the things Jack does? Like, no. like asking questions like, how do you know you're pregnant? And all that stuff like where Jack looks like a little boy, you know, and you have right. to have Elizabeth explain everything to him versus Spencer like he would never never have these conversations no no because ja I mean Spencer is in his mid to late 30s he's a grown man uh, and Alex is is probably of an age close one way close ish these are grown ass people and they have been around the block and so that's the difference between the two of them and I think the difference in how you take in the characters is very much reflected in those age and differences because it's reflected in the maturity differences Spencer and Alex thrown together by chaos thrown together by by attraction and the heat of the moment think about what they've been through in such a short amount of time but that charisma and that magnetism when you're older and you're mature and you have lived your 1.0 life and now you're into your 2.0 life you know faster and better and you can make those choices quicker and get into them deeper faster than when you're jack and elizabeth going through it all for the first time you're like i don't know where does this go how do the babies <laughs> get made how do you right. know you're pregnant you None know can i get you pregnant a second time i don't know you know like you don't know because you're, you're kidding you're stupid 
talk? Why are you making Jack talk with that weirdo accent? I I don't know. Because we've been recording a long time and I'm feeling silly. I'm feeling silly. But but you brought up a good question. How many people on their dates have talked about death as much as these two? Man, Alex is driving me crazy because she keeps bringing speaking death into the universe. On the boat, with my last breath, I shall be kissing you. That's how I'm going out. And then they had this whole conversation at the end of the episode about dreams and about the universe and and about what will tear them asunder, if anything. Let's listen to their Titanic moment on the prow of the ship uh, after they have their post-coital moment, which made me laugh because she's Alex is such she's she's so funny the way she kind of lays all over Spencer and like pokes at him when he's trying to sleep and is like are you awake are you awake and she calls him reptilian because he doesn't move <laughs> it, maybe it makes me laugh because you can go from hot chichachi shower and bed sex scenes to these two being kind of goofy in bed and calling calling him reptilian and he's like maybe it's I'm tired and then they crack open like they go they switch gears from from sexy sexy to to goofy sexy constantly and they do it so well let's play the clip from them when they're on the prow of the ship having their little uh titanic moment at the front of the ship looking at the stars my dream is that the universe was wrong and your mind escape the universe has absolutely no say whatsoever (laughs) i'm following you wherever you go whether you like it or not choose another dream this one's already come true. It's far from coming true. There is no putting me back. We are one now. With the sun at your face, I'm your shadow. When it finds my back, you are mine. I go where you go. Even if it's the death of me. Girl, stop talking shit into the universe like even if it's the death of me. What are you doing? So now going back to what I just what I was saying about like this felt a little melodramatic. This felt a little a little bit much. Like you're not getting any of that. No, this is how they always talk. I thought I felt this is totally in line of how these two always Okay. Well maybe it's just getting a little tiring for me. I don't need like every conversation to be the most melodramatic conversation you could possibly ever have. Yeah, I think that's their deal. I think every conversation then they're never gonna make it. Like that's there's no way. There's no way these two ever make it because then they're almost they're such adrenaline junkies. They are and adrenaline they would junkies be so though. So obsessive about talking like what the biggest extreme like outcome could be then that worries me you know because like you're saying please don't speak it into the universe but i'm like man if they're telling us who they are if she's telling us who they are through these discussions then i'm like man you are you are your candles gonna blow out long before right that's the worry they are adrenaline junkies if base jumping was a thing they would be doing it if bunch jumping existed they would be doing it if there was a way for them to jump from a plane into montana without a parachute they would be doing it that's who they are (laughs) they They are i get it 
But do you enjoy that? Do you want the melodrama in every conversation? I do. I fall for it every time. I was okay. I was totally engrossed in this. So I had to make a choice because this, this whole thing was a very long clip. So I chose that end because I liked it so much. I like the where you go, I go, even if it's the death of me. That uh, Let's talk about recommitting to each other. It wasn't long ago. It was maybe a day, maybe only a couple of days since she had to stand there in front of him in the room and say, don't leave me. If you leave me there, there, you don't get to claim me again. Like that's still fresh in her mind. That recommitment, like th- this whole idea of we constantly have to be selling each other on each other because it has been such a short adrenaline filled time. They really haven't had a quiet moment to really learn about each other. I don't know that they know each other's middle names, if they even have middle names. I mean, I I don't know that they know the most basic things about each other yet, but they know that they are there for each other until the world runs dry and they die. Like, that is the thing that they always make sure they cover in every conversation. Very true. Very true. I want to back it up because he really starts the ball rolling on the adrenaline junkie thing. And this is the part that I had to clip from the conversation. He says as a statement... I shouldn't have you. I should have put you back, he says. The elephant turning the car over, the lions in the tree, the tugboat sinking. The universe has been telling me from day one to put you back. I am not supposed to have you. I stole you. I am not supposed to have you. I should have put you back. So my dream is, and that's where the clip picks up, my dream is that the universe is wrong. So in the same way, he listens, he wants to listen to the ocean about the rings and keeping them because the ocean is trying to send him a sign. He is rebuffing the signs that he is clearly taking in from the universe that they shouldn't be together but he's too damn selfish he says to put her back so his dream that he has is that the universe is actually wrong well Spencer, you're, i don't know that you could have it both ways you can't trust the ocean to be giving you a sign of almost killing you and then giving you a ring and then hope that the universe is wrong just because it's the outcome you really don't want to come true I think that Yellowstone as a whole teaches us that you cannot fight the universe and that you have to at some point find some coexistence with it. And so I really I'm with you in terms of it's very worrisome that she's kind of put herself at odds with the universe in the way that she's telling her own story. She's saying like this happened and this was the universe telling me this because you could take the same events and have a different take on it you could be like and the universe saved me you know because you were there and you had the lucky rope and the blah 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 like you know you could you could you could turn it on its head it worries me because the dutton way of thinking and the yellowstone way of thinking is everything's only going to be copacetic as long as you're in harmony with nature and the universe. Well, especially when she says you can get a new dream because that dream's already come true. He says to her, he says to her, the dream very much has not come true. I have not been successfully proven that the universe was wrong. He's he, She's saying it, but even, even Spencer, because Spencer, again, she gets more bold around Spencer. Spencer gets more cautious around her. Mm-hmm. He's saying, no, 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 no. This dream has not come true. This is my dream that the universe is wrong. But he has to know by saying that and what we know about Spencer, he has to know that this is ill-fated, likely. And it is. it does feel like a candle burning so very hot, it so is. very passionately. 
so very charismatically, but eventually candles that burn hottest, they burn out fastest. And that's, that's the fear. If you want to dream, if, if you audience listeners have, want to have a dream, have the dream that they have a really long candle because at the speed Somehow. they're going, at the speed <laughs> the they're going, the longest wick in the world, the longest wick in the world, because the, the speed they're going, they are burning through all of their Bath and Body Works candles at a, an alarming rate, or they're, they're burning through their Yankee candle at an alarming <laughs> Yankee rate. candles, yes. Their their safari scented Yankee candle at an alarming <laughs> rate. Right, exactly. Uh, I want to put on the bulletin board because I, I there's no time to talk about it tonight because we went long, but we have not talked about who actually is Alex. Who is Alexandra? No last name. Is she part of the royal family, which is a lot of fan theories? Is she just from a very wealthy British family? When are we going to get to meet them? I feel like I, it feels weird that they would pass through Europe, through Marseille or wherever they're going to end up in, in docking, passing through London and not meeting her family. I feel like that is something that has to be answered before they go to Montana, because okay. when are they ever going to have... And we know from Elsa's voiceover, once he gets to Montana, he's never having another journey again. So if feels like we have to get to know Alex's family at some point. And we know nothing about her. We know about Spencer because we know about the Duttons, not because Spencer necessarily, necessarily has told her anything, but mm. we don't know anything about Alexandra other than she is wealthy and was supposed to marry a wealthy dude. So I want to put on the board, I want to have a conversation about who do we think Alex actually is? I like that very much because we definitely don't feel like I, I have a good handle of her. Predictions going into next week's penultimate episode, second to last of the season. It seems insane that we're already there. Well, going back to Tiona and that whole storyline, I think we are going to meet Hank's son, crossing my fingers that they are two very upstanding men who have no interest in creating her uh, as a wife or as anything else. I just hope they go and find her dad. That's what I badly want. I think that, that predictions are that the sheriff is going to turn out to have all kinds of weird dealings. I don't think he's on the up and up. I think that there's... At least going to be pressure on him in the coming episodes to do things that are not what we want to happen. So we're we're gonna to have to wait and see if if he can stay nice and cool with the Duttons. I don't know how long that's gonna last. So you're doubling down on corrupt sheriff and predatory Hank and son. Yeah, because I, I mean, I, you are a true no. Yellowstone watcher. <laughs> you get yeah, it. I am. You get that the I worst am. possible things can come true will come true. There's so there's so much teasing about taking the taking the girl, whether it be the sailor teasing or whatever. There's too, too much. There's too much. There's too much. It's it's looming. Before we part ways, I want to hit a couple of history corner things uh, that just came up in this episode. Big Timber, Montana gets mentioned. This is where Clive, the interviewee, is allegedly from. It is 38 miles from Paradise Valley. It is 60 miles from Bozeman. So when they say it would be like a three days ride or a three hour train ride, that that track given those distances. The thing that made me laugh was it's the county seat. It is a county seat of Sweetgrass County, Montana. So you think county seat must be a pretty big city. must be a big place. The population in 2020, not 1923, the population in 2020, 1,650 people. Very little. There's like literally more people in my apartment building than live in Big Timber. <laughs> so it's kind of crazy. Captain Shipley advises Alex and uh, Spencer to go to Port Galveston or Port, Port Arthur uh, instead of going to Ellis 
instead of Ellis Island, because Ellis Island is a uh, disease haven, which he's not wrong because it was the largest immigration intake port. It was chaos. You are not too far from Port Galveston, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I'm super close to both, actually. Yeah, so Galveston is just about 45 minutes away. It would be my beach that I would go to. It's, it's known now for being a cruising port, I believe, yes? We have a cruise or two that go out of it, but it's a shipping port. Well, the interesting thing was that the port was actually established by a proclamation introduced, uh, issued by the Congress of Mexico on October 17th, 1825. It was issued when the land was still part of Mexico. Uh, it is the oldest port in the Gulf of Mexico, west of New Orleans. During the late 19th century, the port was the busiest on the Gulf Coast and considered to be the second busiest in the country, only next to the port in New York City. The port was also a major immigration center with almost 50,000 people entering the country through there between 1906 and 19. 19- 14. So it is a legitimate place for the captain to advise them to uh, to go. But the funny thing is, coming into Galveston, they would maybe not have a journey terribly unlike James and Margaret and Elsa and John Dutton did when they left from Texas going up to Montana. Right, which is funny because Spencer wasn't with them then. Right. So he would be getting to recreate his family's. To, right. Get, walk, get to, walk the steps. He can he can walk and you know, that show was a PBS show like Who Are You or Where Are You From? He you know, we, Who Spencer, do you think you are? That's what's called. Who do you that, think you are? Spencer maybe can uh, can do a who do you think you are nineteen twenty three style. So. Well and that's that's really a cool storytelling device because they could walk us through all the changes. Like if he got, if he's coming through Galveston, say they do go up to the stockyards in Fort Worth and all that kind of stuff. I mean like then we would actually get to see the progress that had been made since 1883 which is super fun as as an audience member it would be i mean for him to turn to alex and be like you know my my parents came through here when they went to montana and oh oh so do you remember this oh i wasn't born then like that's a cool narrative device i i putting that together kind of love that and i hope they actually yeah, do and the parallel of like being of the i mean pro- what would the crossing the red, red river look like now you know like things like that like i think that that cool be really cool presumably he would take a train unlike uh his father totally agree we assume but but he's a little more of an adventurer so i i don't know but it would be neat to see the options i guess basically yeah just just to be able to revisit it and we know that the yellowstone group is still shooting down to texas because they're shooting the four sixes so mm-hmm. and they're also shooting bass reeves i think down there too so those sets are probably largely still up or at least available for them to uh use interesting 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 Very. so there's there's my prediction my prediction is that they do go through the port and they do a who do you think uh who do you think you are is that what it is yeah who do you yeah. think you are they do a who do you think you are 1923 style for spencer I think that would be awesome. This is Caroline. And this is Mike. Thank you for listening to the Yellowstone Podcast 1923 edition. If you would head over to Apple Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts and rate, review, and subscribe so you never miss an episode. And while you're there, if you could leave us a five-star review, we would really appreciate it. If it's a nice one, we'll read it on the air because we love you guys and we love hearing from you. Um, And you know what? We don't have to give you our dead wife's ring. That's all. (laughs) Uh, we will if that's what it'll take for you to do a five-star review we'll give you our wife's ring uh just don't tell her but uh we'd rather not have to do that (laughs) thanks for listening thank you for listening this has been an original pod clubhouse production pod clubhouse is a podcast network dedicated to encouraging collaboration among podcasters and friends to bring a fresh voice and diverse perspective on a wide array of content please visit and leave a comment for us at podclubhouse.com Rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast feeds on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us at Pod Clubhouse. Our DMs are always open, and we'd love to hear from you.